Okay, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Better. I'm Dr. John Duffy. Um, Julie Duffy is not with me here today, but I do have a really special guest. It is Dr. Helen Odesky, um, who is one of my favorite authors on anxiety and fear. Helen, hi. Hi, it's good to be here. It's good to talk to you. So um, last time we spoke was a couple of years ago when your first book had come out, uh, Stop Anxiety from Stopping You. And now you've got a new one out, right? Uh, Stop Fear from Stopping You. Um, yeah. Do you want to just give us a brief overview of, you know, first of all, what's the difference between anxiety and fear and why why write a second book? You've, you've climbed the mountain. You've, you've created this bestseller. Um, why was this an important one for you to write? Yeah, great question. So my first book uh, grew out of this need to have a book for my clients who I was seeing were struggling with panic attacks and a lot of anxiety, particularly social anxiety or anxiety about uh, fear of public speaking or uh, fear about doing things socially. And so I, I wrote that book and, and I felt like it was really helpful. And then what happened was my clients got better and they stopped feeling the anxiety, but they still had to overcome all of these fears that we all have to deal with, like fear of what people might think if they take a risk or if they change careers uh, and fear of failing, fear of making mistakes in their life, fear uh, of all of these things that we all have to deal with. And that's where stop fear from stopping you comes in. Yeah, I feel like um, when I, so I was lucky enough to read your book um, before it came out and I was thinking as I read it, wow, this is really um, touches on the core reason that an awful lot of people come to therapy in the first place, right? Well, your, your two books actually touch on maybe the things that in my practice I see the most, like this anxiety, right? So I feel this anxiety. I need to get help for it. Um, and it's kind of um, acute and frightening. Um, but these these kind of chronic fears that we have, right? Um, uh, I, I think you've touched on something here that um, most of us have a number of core fears that prevent us from just kind of getting where we want to go in life. Not that, you know, it's like we're debilitated or we're not functioning well or we're not making it through the day, but we're certainly not thriving. Is that close? It, that's exactly right. And, and I think it also leads to depression in a way. If we're sitting on something that we're afraid to do, if we do it long enough, we start feeling bad about ourselves and start going down the road of depression. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I, um, people often like try to create these very disparate, um, groups, my clients about whether they're depressed or whether they're anxious. And they so often are intertwined that to try to untangle them and separate them always, it feels a little bit like folly to me. Do you run into the, to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think it's a chicken and, a, and the egg dilemma. Uh, they often go together. So I think we just treat both and, and call it a day and keep going forward. Right, and, right, right. Yeah, for sure. yeah. And I, I think you, uh, to speak to your other question about the difference between fear and anxiety, anxiety often is a physical or emotional sensation. So it's either physical sensations of your stomach fluttering or tightness in your chest or your throat. Uh, it, it, uh, if it goes to the degree of a panic attack, it's very overwhelming. It can be an emotional 
anticipation. It's a feeling of foreboding. Whereas fear is the, the cognitive or the thinking experience of it. It's us predicting these negative scenarios in our head about what's likely to go wrong. Wow, that is a that is a really powerful distinction. And so when we're afraid, we're kind of future oriented. We're not necessarily having that physical manifestation of anxiety, but we are thinking about like what could go sideways or wrong in the future and that can prevent us from even engaging in the first place, even doing the thing, the thing we're afraid of. Yes. So you make a distinction, if I recall, um, between good fear and bad fear. And when I first read your book, I remember thinking like good fear does not seem like a thing. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> so just thinking, thinking about my own life, you know, and, and some of my clients, I, um, that was my initial, until I read that, that, that part, I was thinking, wow, that feels like an oxymoron. Do you mind just shedding a little bit of light on the difference? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. The psychological myth or mythology around fear is that it would be really wonderful if we became fearless and we could just go out there and not think about what would go wrong. And, and I think that that's really a disservice to us as human beings, because I think the reality is it's important to be aware of what may go wrong. And it can be life preserving. So if you if you're about to make a life changing decision and you don't consider the consequences of it, it would be a disservice to you. However, it doesn't mean that you don't make the decision. It right, just right, right. Allows you that room to really say, like, hey, is this going to be a huge disservice or even uh, a, a negative? Right. So, right. so that, that fearlessness idea that we all kind of like dream about a little bit, right? That I never have to feel the fear is overrated because in a way we're not considering all the data that we should. And on occasion, you know, it's a self-preserving, maybe even life-preserving idea to consider the things you're afraid of in an honest way because sometimes they're legitimate. Exactly. Yeah, and it might, uh, your, your decision-making needs to be informed by that, at least to some extent. Exactly, and the, the second part of the myth is that we somehow have to be unafraid in order to make progress or movement in our life versus right. to learn to work and harness our fear. Yes. Um, wh why, why, are we, why do we so um, loathe fear, you know, if, if, it, if it's, if it's so useful in this almost Darwinian way, right. To keep yeah. us, to keep <laughs> us surviving. And, um, you know, uh, like these kind of, it's kind of a, this caution that our, that our gift of caution that our brain gives our, our body and our minds, you know, um, yet we, I, I think we have this disdain for it. And, um, a lot of my clients, I notice like feel shame when they're afraid, they feel guilty about it. Yeah, I think there's this mythology around fear that somehow it's wrong to feel it. And if yeah. we were brave, we wouldn't feel fear, which I, call, I, I absolutely consider mythology because it's not true. If we don't feel fear, it's probably diagnostic. There's probably something wrong with us if we don't feel fear. Feeling fear is just part of the, the realm of human emotion. It's useful. It's natural. And often we feel fear when we're challenging ourselves. So if we don't feel fear, my question is always like, hmm, is this someone that's incapable of reading consequences 
or is this somebody that's not really challenging themselves? Boy, that, I, love, I love that I, um, because, right, we can create a world, and I'm thinking maybe specifically around the pandemic, like a, a lot of us can create a scenario. I'm working with a few teenagers right now who are kind of like um, all their fears are gone because there is no challenge. They're just in the house um, virtually all the time. So anything extracurricular they do, anything social they do, and putting their neck out and trying something new. Um, I think this, the, this time, these past 10 or 11 months, has given some of us this excuse to kind of tap out of fear altogether. And oh, for I, sure. <laughs> and I think we don't talk enough about it, but I see it because I have an anxiety-focused practice. A lot of my clients have felt a ton less anxiety because they don't have to meet the challenges that make them anxious, but that are still very real and that are there. So, so what do you think happens? And this is a completely unfair question, and I'm blindsiding you with it. What happens on the back end? So let's say you know, we reach this kind of critical mass herd immunity thing, and you know, uh, somebody declares, you know, uh, President Biden and all world leaders declare okay, masks off, you know, all clear, we're good. Um, what happens on the back end of that for those of us who have eschewed fear altogether and decided, you know, like, I'm going to tap out, you know, now all of a sudden the world is back and you are confronted with all the things that you've been avoiding for a year or two? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be a shock to the system and a, <laughs> a readjustment, right? If all of a sudden you've been playing it safe for a year or so, and all of a sudden you're, or say you were avoiding dating, which is very easy to do because all you have to say is, well, dating doesn't really feel real because, you know, we're on the internet and right. uh, there's really no dating and I really shouldn't be dating because of all these quarantine precautions and it's awkward and weird. And, and then you've been avoiding it for a whole year. It probably will get a little bit harder to get back into the swing of things. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and so in order to prevent that, um, mm -hmm. I, I think um, I'm going to put words in your mouth and please correct me if I'm wrong, but something along the lines of find ways to confront some of your fears as you go and recognize that that's a healthy thing to do. This is part of kind of like working through your good fear. Yeah, it's part of feeling engaged and alive and part of how you probably will feel more, uh, more energized. Yeah, life. you know. I remember um, a discussion that you and I had not long ago where you really focused on this idea of uh, real engagement in your life being affiliated with fear um, and kind of like moving towards your fear. Like you'll know, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. you'll know, yeah. you'll know you're, you're alive in part if you're a little bit afraid at, at the very least. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that guy. Do you mind saying a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think what happens to our body is our reaction times and our senses sharpen when we're afraid. And so when you're working on something that's a challenge for you, whatever it is, you're going to feel a little bit of that uh, color come into your life. Yeah, you, you I will love feel that. more energy. You will feel more in focus and it'll feel a little bit exhilarating. You might feel other feelings. It might feel a little terrifying if you're trying something new for the first time or if you're pushing, pushing some boundary in your life towards a little bit of a better outcome. It will feel a little scary for sure. 
I talk a lot um, with my clients about like, what's your better story, you know, um, in any given day or with any given decision. And almost always, I think now in the context of what you, what you write about and talk about, um, it feels like the better story is usually, mm, unless there's actual danger involved that's going to impact your health or safety or well-being in some way, it's probably the better story to move toward that fear and do that thing, right? D to go on the date or uh, take the speaking engagement or whatever it is, right? Uh, jump off the mountain a little bit. Yeah, for sure. For so, sure. Um, we feel, if I could just add to that point a little bit, we please. usually feel way better about the things we've tried that didn't go well than we do about the things that we didn't try and wish we had. Ooh, that's going to ring. <laughs> that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so, um, that feels like the good fear. Does that also encapsulate the bad fear? Is the bad fear the stuff that's you know, the kind of thing that is actually, you know, affects our, our health and safety, or is that something different? Well, I think the good fear is, is um, I, I don't really call it good and bad. I think, I think like helpful in terms of there's life-preserving fear. So the fear that you feel when you're about to step um, onto the sidewalk and you see an oncoming bus and you jump back, or if you're right. driving and you're, you're a driver that you're sitting there and you see a car cut you off and you slam on the brakes to avoid a collision. You know, it's like a, a quick reaction time, right? That's yep. the life-preserving fear. The other fear, and, and I don't really call it good or bad, it, it mocks this idea that like, hey, this is life-threatening, but it really is a fear about something that is a threat to our ego more than anything else, like how we will look, how we will feel about ourselves. Maybe we'll get a rejection and we won't feel good, or maybe somebody else might not think that something we're doing is a good decision, but it may be a perfectly good decision for us. Yeah. And, and so I think about it more as uh, life-preserving fear versus the type of fear that we need to overcome and, and just write it out, right? Take it with yeah. us. So the life-preserving fear, you don't, you don't mull it over. It's instinctual. You know you've got to do it because you'll save your life and you just act on it, right? Right, and, for sure. And, right, and, we don't want to get rid of it. We don't necessarily want to get rid of the other fear. We just want to move differently with it. Right. No. And that, and that fear that is, you know, kind of like ego preserving that, that is, Oh man, does that, does that speak to the title of your book? Right. You know, like, cause it, it's so easy to let that kind of fear stop you. Right. Where it's like oh, that you're, you're vulnerable and sure. exposed out there. Yeah. And you know this is a published author. If you don't write a book, no one can criticize it, right? So you're sitting pretty. <laughs> <laughs> if you write a book, you know, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of feedback, positive and negative. So, uh, and, and with anything else in your life, you know, if you go for that promotion, if, if you uh, decide to make a move geographically, somebody yep. might have an opinion about it. Right, 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 right. Um... And what, what, a, what a meta level concept, this idea of if you write a book, you're opening yourself up and yet there you are writing a book about fear. Uh, was there, <laughs> was there personally, was there some fear about writing a book about fear? 
Um, you know, it's funny with my first book that uh, my fear was not getting published with my second book. I was like, oh, I, I better make this a good one. So it kind of lives up to the first book. <laughs> that was a fear. <laughs> then I thought, well, that's not really a fair comparison. They're, they're kind of different animals. <laughs> it creates too much pressure. Yes. And, and I can say having read both books that you, you definitely, you confronted the second fear. And I, I think you, you wrote a, a second book that definitely lives up to the first one. There, there's, there's a concept in here, Helen, that um, I would love for you to speak to. It's my favorite concept in the whole book, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's a phrase I think you coined that is fear wise. Do you mind ta- telling us a little bit about that? Yes, I would love to. So, fear wise, speak to the concept that we we just talked about or touched on, which is that. When you're fear-wise, you know to heed the call of fear when it's life-threatening and to write it out when you're feeling these pangs of, ooh, what's going to go wrong when something's mm-hmm. a challenge? And you really use a different strategy when it's not a life-preserving fear and you really address how you're going to look at it and how you're going to move forward with it once you decide that it's a decision. And fear of making a decision, by the way, is huge. So some people sort of stay in that and, and they, they use this as, as a place to stop. Yeah. Um, and I would encourage you to, by all means, make decisions. And, and to really look at when you're making decisions, like, hey, if this is something that is really going to be enriching, and if this is something, like John, you said, that's going to be a better story for you, then are you able to live with maybe a little bit of rejection, maybe a little bit of failure along the way, because that's something that you can weather and you can give yourself that breathing room in order to reach your goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like the concept of that because it suggests something that is not like binary or, or, or linear. It almost feels like um, there's a meter, right? And, <laughs> um, and, and it's, uh, it's calibrated. Uh, a certain way. And I think um, a lot of us, our fear meters um, might be poorly calibrated. I, I'm kind of curious to see if you would agree with that. There are times where I have to make a decision about like, you know, whether I'm going to do a uh, speaking thing, for example. And, um, and I might have myself at, a, you know, an eight out of 10 in terms of fear about that, when in fact, the, you know, the real threat of that is probably closer to a two, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> is, does that make sense? And I, I always, I always wonder like, how do I help people work their way down to, because I think we sometimes overestimate um, the impact of addressing the fear and, um, and definitely underestimate the, the feel good, right? That exhilaration that you were talking about a few minutes ago. Um, yeah. And I'm just thinking about for what you and I do and what you do in particular, how, how you encourage somebody who is, you know, kind of um, overwhelmed a little bit by their fear, how, how you bring that meter down to, to uh, properly calibrate so that they can make the decision that works best for them. Yeah, uh, I love that question. I think recalibration is super important, a strategy that I love to use is to really recalibrate it to a manageable size. So when something feels really large or overwhelming, picture the smallest possible particle that this can be tapped into. So for example, if you're working on a presentation and you have no cards, your presentation isn't all these people watching you and what they think about you and what you deliver or where it's broadcast, it's the snow card. 
It's the mm -hmm. size of a note card that you can hold in your hand and have a couple bullet points. That is awesome. I love that. <laughs> the, the smallest <laughs> little, that, that, that what, breaking it down into that little component. Um, it just literally, uh, I have a speaking engagement coming up and it literally made me yeah, breathe I would a little picture, bit. <laughs> I would picture that, that note card with your bullet points uh, every time that it comes up. And the, the other strategy is really to start with like, hey, what's my first really actionable step that I would need to take? Not the whole thing, but like my first step. Break it down. That I, yeah, that I could do now. Not not a step I need to take like down the line. Yeah. In a year or a couple months or a week. Like, what do I need to do now? Oh, I need to draft it. Okay, one, two, three. That's the assignment, right? Break it down to a task-based rather than an emotion-based task for yourself. I love that, and and it does. That feels simple, and just to hear just the way you said it makes it seem like you know, break it down. No big deal. You know, like kind of like uh, talking somebody off the ledge just a little bit, like, you know, this is this is not the end of the world. And, you know, um, your worst case scenario probably is not that bad. Is it? Is, is, yeah, is it I think a true? lot of times, yeah, a lot of times we're afraid that something is uh, bigger than us. It's so much bigger yeah. than us. How can I possibly tackle this? Yeah. And I think if you break it, if you concretize it and you, you put it in perspective, like, this isn't bigger than me. This is the size of a note card or it's a size. Yeah. It's the size of a stack of papers because maybe or, or a slide deck. You know, it's the size of yes. my laptop I can hold in my hand. So um, a, a couple a couple final questions. If you're if you've got a moment, yeah. um, what, one that jumps to my mind is um, I remember thinking like what what an interesting time to publish a book on fear, right? You know, where um, there is a pandemic going on, there's this political strife. Um, and I get that this is not specifically the type of fear we're addressing here, but is it, you know, do, do you feel like there is a little bit, bit of kismet involved in the timing of your book being out now? Well, it's, it's interesting. It's like that old uh, curse, may you live in interesting times. We're living in interesting times. Mm -hmm. Things are uncertain on a lot of fronts. And that generally raises our level of fear. Um, and I think if we look at it as an opportunity to really hone our skills and, mm -hmm. and work on managing opportunities when fear comes up, then we stand to gain a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot that we can apply now and later, huh? like, like kind of throughout. Yeah, if somebody told you in January 2019, boy, your life's going to change completely in a couple months and you're going to be basically homebound for a large portion of your time, <laughs> a lot of us would have said, no way, I can get through this. And here we are, right? Yeah. A, lot of it have, a lot of us have pulled out this resilience that we didn't know we had. We've made adjustments. We've thrived, right, in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, so, so a hundred percent. Um, so, so I'm putting my, myself in the mind of somebody who is listening to us and might be thinking, um, boy, I have this thing I want to do this move. I want to make, you know, I want to get that new job or I want to go on that date or whatever, whatever the thing is. But you know, this is way beyond me. Like I'm not even, I'm not in the ballpark of what, um, what, what Helen and John are talking about. Um, does that, does that suggest like, ooh, maybe you should read my first book then? 
You know, like, uh, is that is that kind of where um, we jump from fear to anxiety? Well, I, I think it suggests that maybe some self-reflection is in order. Because when we feel like, boy, I'm too afraid to do this, we might not even have identified what we're afraid of. Mm. So I think maybe maybe I would recommend to that person, like, do some journaling and then figure out, like, what's really bothering you? Is it this, like, are you having panic attacks? Are you having these extreme anxiety attacks that you, you just need tools to manage to get through your everyday life? Or are you in that place where you're getting to identifying, this is what I'm really afraid of, and, and get the second book and say, okay, I really, I'm, I'm okay in my day-to-day life, but I just really need to confront this fear and, and work through it, in which case I would suggest that fear from stopping you book. Yeah, I like that. So, so just kind of calmly assess where you are, you know, yeah. like, um, take a step back and just like, and, um, and, and kind of stay in that, uh, kind of examination of your fear state and, um, and, and kind of calibrate, calibrate appropriately. And yeah, you know absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, uh, make sure you have a sounding board, whether that's a good friend mm. or, or a therapist or a coach, right? That's important as we're trying to push ourselves. So, so make sure that that's also a part of what you're doing. Does the sounding board also provide an element of accountability? Like a lot of us, I think, can tell ourselves, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in two weeks, you know, like, as opposed to like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do that today. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, I mean, I've done this. I'm sure, John, you probably have too. <laughs> we, if, if we have a private goal and it's just us, you know, yeah, we can. We can certainly hold ourselves accountable by having a journal or writing it down mm-hmm. somewhere, but a lot of that doesn't quite have the outcome that it does when somebody shows up to your session and your therapist kind of goes, so how's that thing we've been talking about and what's getting in the way of that moving forward? You know, and, and as you're talking, Helen, I'm thinking of a couple of things I'm a little fearful about now. I'm thinking like that, that feels right to me right now, like one of the scariest steps, like to make myself accountable to put myself in that situation where somebody else knows, you know, like mm-hmm. once that happens, I feel like, wow, that is a different level of commitment than even putting it in my journal or just thinking about it, like, or planning it. Um, and yet it feels like a very important piece of the, of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. So is there any, um, is there any piece of advice or, or, um, that we're, we're missing that you would want our listeners to know um, when addressing their own fears? Is there any, if I miss any yeah, kind of I, cornerstone here? Yeah, I, I, this just actually came forward, it's not even in the, in, in the book, but it um, came out last week, this idea of um, time and the fact that time, you know, some people have a fear of this time passing. And I think one of the key ways to address this is to really make your time count and to think about what you want to do with your time in this life, whether or not you believe in it in another life or not, right? In this mm-hmm. life now, what you like to accomplish, because I think that really helps us focus and calibrate what we're afraid of and what we're planning to do and willing to do. Wow. I, I love that. And I'm thinking of a couple of clients of mine who um, kind of really get stuck in this cycle of fear and lament also that, you know, like time is passing, I'm getting older, the opportunity, the, the window, the door and the window are going to close at some point on this opportunity. 
Um, and so you're right. Like time feels like a really important component to to consider and to really think about like, you know, th this is not just about overcoming fear. This is about doing what you want to do with your life. It's big. It's big and it's big in a, in a good way. It's about the yeah. contributions that we all get to make. Yeah, I love that, Helen. Um, you are brilliant. I love talking to you. Um, your book is awesome. It is Stop Fear From Stopping You. Do you want to just give, give our listeners an idea of where they can find it, where they can find you, where they can learn about you, um, yeah. all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So Stop Fear From Stopping You and Stop Anxiety From Stopping You are both available on Amazon, uh, at Barnes & Noble, at your local bookseller. So check them out. If you'd like to check me out, I am on, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at DrHelenOdesky. Um, or just Google the title of my book and it'll lead you there. And uh, thank you so much, John. Thank you for joining me, Helen. I, I so appreciate it. I always love talking to you. And um, that was that was super inspiring. I, um, you know, I thought, well, we're going to be talking about fear today. I did not anticipate we would get the degree of inspiration here that we did. So uh, thank you for that. And I, I, even personally, I appreciate it. So um, that's Dr. Helen Odesky. Again, thank you, Helen. And um, this is better. We will talk to you next time. Have a great week. Bye.